Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, choir and faith, Francie and Mike, Daniel. It's always good to see new faces up here singing, leading, using your gifts for the encouragement of the body as we worship together. Such a good song, classic, um, higher ground. Also, I love the old classics, love the new classics as well. I'll just call He Will Hold Me Fast a new classic, and I'm hoping it'll be a new classic. Uh, Such a beautiful song. I love to sing that. In fact, earlier this week I was thinking Paul must have gotten those subliminal waves. Um, I hope we sing He Will Hold Me Fast. He had already texted me the order. I just needed to pay attention to it. It was already there. So, so thankful we were able to sing that together. Well, this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7. Again, we're going to be looking at a large portion of Scripture. We probably won't be able to get through the whole chapter, but we're going to make a valid attempt. So stand with me, if you will, as we read and honor the preaching of God's Holy Word. Matthew chapter 7. Again, it's important to point out that the chapter divisions in our Bible are not inerrant and inspired, so it's important that we see the the flow of thought from Matthew 6 speaking about not being anxious and seeking the kingdom of God into chapter 7. That'll be helpful as we continue to talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. As I refer to either one, those are synonymous terms. So here, Jesus continues his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with these words. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, and grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, 
Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Gracious Father, Lord, I pray that we will see your son's authority. You have given him all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to your son. He is the son of man, the son of God, who came to seek and save those who were lost. So, Father, let us turn our attention to your son, Jesus Christ. Let us bow our knees. Let us see that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, if we see these truths, we will see how they impact our lives, how we treat others, how we judge others, how we love others and serve them. Father, I pray that we will see your mercy and grace to us so that we might show mercy and grace to others. Father, I pray for us as a church that you might sanctify us, that you might unite us in spirit and in mind. Father, I pray that you might add to our numbers so that your name might be glorified in this community. But Father, more than numbers and and decisions, Lord, we pray for disciples. Lord, we pray for disciples that bear good fruit. Lord, I pray that our lives will reflect your presence, will reflect your spirit leading us, guiding us and teaching us, submitting to you in all things. Father, where there's areas where we're not submitting to you, where we have kept secret sins, where we have hidden things from others, Lord, I pray that you will expose them so that we might seek you, so that we might render our hearts to you, as Joel says. Father, I pray that we will turn to you because, Lord, we know if we come to you, we find forgiveness, grace, and mercy. So, Lord, let us not just confess with our mouths that you are Lord, but I pray that our lives will reflect that you are indeed Lord. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you have opened our eyes to see. Lord, I pray that you'll change our hearts to believe and follow you in all things. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, Matthew chapter 7. Again, as we look at this chapter, it might seem kind of segmented. We go from one topic to the next to the next, and so it's hard to connect to different themes at times as Jesus goes to different sections talking about what does it mean to give to others, what does it mean to serve to others, what does it mean to judge, which we'll look at in just a few minutes. But I would offer up to you this morning, again, Jesus continues the theme of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We are we see last week in Matthew chapter 6, we're to seek first the kingdom. Well, as we're seeking the kingdom, that will impact the way we live. It will impact what we value and what we cherish. So I want to read to you a short story um, of a missionary named John Yoder. 
I don't know John, but John wrote about his experiences in Laos. He says this about God's kingdom from his experiences. He says, when I was serving as a missionary in Laos, I discovered an illustration that taught me about the kingdom of God. He says, before the colonialists imposed national boundaries, the kings of Laos and Vietnam reached an agreement on taxation in the border areas. Those who ate short grain rice, built their house on stilts, and decorated them with Indian-style serpents were considered Laotians. On the other hand, those who ate long grain rice, built their houses on the ground, and decorated them with Chinese-style dragons were considered Vietnamese. The exact location of a person's home was not what determined his or her nationality. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose cultural values he or she exhibited. So, John says, it is with us. We live in the world, but as part of God's kingdom, we are to live according to his kingdom's standards and values. So our lives, what we cherish and what we value and what we, the way we live should reflect, if we are truly his disciples, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So we will see this morning, as we look at several different sections, what Jesus means by seeking first the kingdom. First, we're going to look at a section that is uh, popularly quoted, but often misused, about judging. I've heard people say to me, even after saying a sentence, now remember, you can't judge. It's like when they say to me, now I can't say another word after that. And so um, John 3.16 was often quoted 30, 20, 30, 40 years ago. People um, knew that verse, held up poster boards at sporting events. Even today, probably 80, 90% of us could quote John 3.16. But nowadays, Matthew 7.1 is quoted just as widely by cynics and skeptics, and they say, judge not, lest you be judged. And they use this, again, to eliminate judging or judgments altogether. But that's not the point of this section. Again, we don't see Matthew 7, 1, and then on to Matthew 8. There's context here. There's other verses that go along with it. So we're going to be looking at several key words. The first key word in this section is judging, judging humbly. We are called to judge humbly or to judge with discernment. The point here is that we're not to pronounce someone guilty before God on the final day of judgments. And so you and I, we are not the supreme judge. We are not Jesus Christ. We are not to judge um, eternally and formally on the last day of judgment. But we are called to judge. But the key here is we're called to judge with discernment. As Christians, We will make judgments. You will make judgments. I will make judgments. And we will judge one another. But ultimately, God is the judge that judges perfectly and fairly. As we judge, again, in reference to the kingdom of God, we must seek him in all things. As I was preparing the sermon and looking at these first six verses, I thought about what Ken Sandy says about judging. He, he offers these four G's in, in regards to reconciling relationships. As you seek to judge someone else, remember these four G's. As we judge, the point of our judgment should be to glorify God. As we go to someone else, remember we must first get the log out of your own eye. Um, that takes a while with me sometimes. Um, number three, we are called to gently restore. 
So we're not called to judge um, harshly, brazenly, um, boldly, um, but we are called to judge and to gently restore. And number four, we are called to go and be reconciled. So this passage isn't necessarily about reconciling relationships, but there's definitely <clears throat> definitely implications for that here, that we are called to judge with discernment. We must be careful as we judge, because the scripture says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So we can't have some pious um, judging standard in which we too will be judged by that same standard. So as followers of Christ, we must remember we have been shown mercy. So we must judge humbly towards others. God has been very patient with us in opening our eyes to our sin. So Jesus teaches us to evaluate our own lives and to take care of our own sin before approaching someone else. Jesus teaches us not to be hypocritical in our judgments. We must humbly humbly and carefully approach our brothers and sisters. Then we get to verse 6. Verse 6 is one of those verses that commentaries like to skip over. You look at your commentaries, like, oh, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 7. And so it's one of those verses that's tricky. Anytime you have a verse with dogs, pigs, and pearls, um, it's an interesting verse to talk about. It can leave you scratching your head. But the point of this verse is that there is danger when we do not use discernment. While pot-bellied pigs and teacup poodles are cuddly and cute, that's not what Matthew has in mind here. Pigs were unclean, wild, and vicious. Dogs were not household pets. They too were wild and unwanted. Now dogs and pigs do not refer to all Gentiles as some suggest. Rather, they refer to those who have given evidences of rejecting the gospel with hardened defiance. And what does it mean in verse 6, do not give to dogs what is holy or sacred? When this this verse refers to what is holy or sacred, what is it referring to? It's referring to the kingdom of God. The disciples are learning, we are learning, we must use discernment in proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Those There are those who will hear and there are those who will refuse to listen and reject the message altogether. The message here is similar to what we will read later in Matthew 10 where it says, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. D.A. Carson says this about this section. He says this verse, verse 6, is something of a gospel analog to the proverb that says, Do not rebuke a scoffer, or do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. So here we see that we are to judge humbly, and we are to judge with discernment. Let's move on to the next section of of Scripture, verses 7 through 11. The next key word is asking. So first key word is judging, judging humbly with discernment. Next key word is asking. We are to ask while trusting God. As we pray, as we petition, as we seek, as we knock, we are to ask while trusting God. As children of God, we trust God. As children who know God, who have been seen, have seen and tasted that God is good, seen His love, we ask with hearts that seek to do His will. 
We ask with hearts that seek to do His will. While children can at times ask for, thing with, ask for things with greedy hearts, Mom, I want this. Dad, I want this. It's a dangerous thing to take your children to Walmart or Target and go down the toy aisle, I know. And so they want this, they want that. And we too at times can have greedy hearts, but Jesus teaches us we must seek God while trusting God, asking Him, knowing that He is a good God and He gives good things to us. In fact, we see here in this passage that God gives us our daily necessities. What does it say here? He says, it gives, He gives us bread and fish. Not serpents and stones. We have a good God, a God who is our Father, a Father who provides for His children, a Father who knows His children, a Father who delights in His children. So I want us to see that again, as we ask God, as we seek God, we must not live like practical atheists. We know God because He has chosen us. He has opened our eyes to His grace and mercy, so we come to Him, petition to Him, knowing that He gives us everything we need to carry out his will. We live in light of God's mercy. We see God's mercy in verse 11. We like to quote verse 11, but sometimes we just focus on the second half of verse 11. Let's look at the whole verse. What does verse 11 say? If you, then, who are... What does Jesus say? Evil. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Um, Jesus, that's not being very politically correct. Did you mean to use a different word? You, you just called us evil. Jesus knows what He means. And He is deliberate in His words here. Indeed, we are evil. We are depraved. We are rebellious. We are wretched apart from Christ. Apart from God's grace, if we were left to our own selves, we would go down the path of destruction. And so we must remember that we seek our own way. We do things our way because we think it's best. But Jesus is telling us, even in the midst of our rebellion, we've been shown mercy. God shows us mercy, and God provides for all that we need. Titus puts it this way, We are saved through our Savior, Jesus Christ. He saves us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Praise God for His mercy. I know Susanna loves to sing, um, His mercy is more. She'll say sometimes on Sunday morning, are we singing His mercy is more? Not this week, but maybe next week. I'll drop a little hint there for Paul. (laughs) But we we love uh, God's mercy. Because he's mercy to his children. And as his children, we reap the rewards from a heavenly father that, what does it say? It says he gives good things, good gifts to those who ask him. So we don't come before his throne trembling. We do come with fear and reverence and awe. But we know we also come with confidence. Confidence in who God is. Confidence in his character. Confidence that he gives good things to those who ask him. So in this section, as we look at verses 7 through 11, we see that we're to ask while trust, and we see that we have a duty to pray. It is our duty to pray as Christians, but also we see that we also have a delight to pray as we come to God. It's our duty to pray, but it's also our delight to come to God, knowing that we are talking with our Heavenly Father, praying to God, knowing that He hears our prayers 
That is a wonderful thing to come to God and pray, knowing that we are coming to the one who created us. And he delights in hearing us. Let's move to the next section quickly. Verses 12 through 14. The first section was on, on judging, judging with the, humbly with the sermon. And second section, asking while trusting God. Now we are to serve, serving others while loving others. As Christians, we are called to serve. We are servants. Paul makes this clear in his letter to the churches. The Apostle Paul uses this label in his opening greeting to Rome, into the letter in Romans. He writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart by the gospel of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as we look at this section, verses 12 through 14, we are called to serve others. We are called to love others. Verses 12 through 14, yours, your section <clears throat> might have a label there. What, what's the label you have there? The golden rule. Thank you. So you've probably heard of this before, the golden rule. I remember the first time I heard of this was first grade, Mrs. Hayden's class. She said, we're going to practice the golden rule in this class. I, me- I remember thinking, what is that? That sounds neat. That sounds majestic. I don't know what it is, but maybe gold's involved. But the golden rule opens our eyes to how we are to treat others. We want others to treat us well. But here, Jesus, he knows our hearts and he examines our hearts and he knows our selfish desires. And the golden rule makes us deal with our own sin and our expectations that we have for others. I want to tell you a a funny story. Um, This is... uh, this shows God's mercy to me in uh, my own life. Uh, I can't believe this happened this week. A long time ago, uh, this shows how merciful God is to me and my expectations for others. A long time ago, when Sheena was pregnant with Sierra, so this would have been about 17 years ago, um, she sat up in the middle of the night while she was sleeping, and she had a Charlie horse in her foot or her leg, and uh, she loves to tell the story. And she said, Stephen, Stephen, I've got this Charlie horse. Can you help me get it out? And so the story goes that um, that I said, you can get that out by yourself. And so it wasn't one of my brightest or greatest moments in our marriage. And so now does she not only have the pain of the Charlie horse, but she's got the disappointment of a husband who only wants sleep. And so I'm claiming that I was totally knocked out and didn't know what I was saying. So the next morning, I, I heard what I had said and have heard numerous times since then. And so um, 17 years later, earlier this week, I guess it was Tuesday, Tuesday evening, I was sleeping, and then uh, Sheena noticed that I started kicking in my sleep and then sat up out of bed real quick. My calf, my right calf had just seized and I said, Sheena, Sheena, can you help me? My right calf is seized up. It's, I got this Charlie horse. And she massaged my calf. I said, oh, thank you so much. And uh, immediately I said, is that the pain that you experienced 17 years ago? And she's like, yeah. I said, will you please forgive me? <laughs> Thankfully, uh, God has given me a very gracious wife. And she forgive, forgave me. I think she forgave me long before then. But as as I was preparing for the sermon, I thought about the golden rule and how we have these expectations for others. We want them to do all these things for us, but yet often we don't show mercy to them. Well, here, 
Jesus teaches us in this section that we should do to others as we want them to do to us. We are to love and to serve them. J.C. Ryle says this, he says, we're not to deal with others as others deal with us. This is mere selfishness and heathenism. We are to deal with others as we would like them to deal with us. This is Christianity. The cross shapes the way we treat others. The cross shapes the way we show mercy and kindness to others. As Christians, we're called to serve others, to love love others. And Jesus even says, we're to serve and love our enemies, those who mistreat us. Christianity is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It's difficult. It's a long road, but it leads to life. And we see that here in this section. It says, enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. So yes, it's difficult, but it leads to life. So we are called to love and to serve others. Let's move to the next section, verses 15 through 20. Quickly, we see that we are called to bear fruit. We are to bear fruit which reflects our faith. John the Baptist spoke about this earlier in the book. He said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what did he say to them? Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Jesus, like John, he knew that some did not bear good fruit because their hearts were far from God. Jesus speaks about some people in this category who were false prophets. False prophets and false teachers may look the part of a disciple on the outside, but in the inside, they seek to destroy disciples. So Jesus tells us to examine and recognize such people by their fruits, the way in which they live their lives. Disciples bear good fruit. False prophets bear bad fruits. Jesus repeatedly used the example of healthy trees as a correlation to healthy disciples and then diseased trees in relation to the false prophets. So Jesus' teaching here is not just to avoid false prophets, but to avoid false teaching. It leads to destruction and death. Jesus will teach us of this later in Matthew. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Jesus warns us to evaluate the message of others, and in doing so, if we see their message and the effects of it are not consistent with the commands of Christ, we must avoid it altogether. Jesus' warning of false prophets is ratcheted up in verses 21 through 23. If you thought the fire associated with the false prophets was strong language, wait till we unpack these verses. I call these verses the scariest in all of Scripture. Verses 21 through 23, the key word here is knowing, truly knowing God. Knowing God is crucial for life. We must not simply know about God, have head knowledge about God. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, even Satan knows about God. But we must know God theologically, practically, and especially personally. In verses 21 through 23, Jesus elaborates on his teaching about the false prophets, now the false teachers, with life-altering, eternal application. I remember talking with a lady at the Social Security office where I worked in Louisville, Kentucky, and she struggled with these verses. She struggled with what they meant. And as we talked about them, she said, These verses have eternal ramifications, and indeed they do. 
So let's reread them again so that we might have context. Look with me in Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You can see why I call these the scariest in all of Scripture. They make us evaluate our lives, evaluate our hearts, evaluate what we're truly believing or holding on to. What is the anchor of our lives, of our souls? Is it what we know? Is it just mere fancy works? Or is it Christ himself? In these verses, Jesus reminds us the kingdom of heaven is not about words alone. Words are important. Confessions are important. Catechisms are important. What we believe about theology and doctrine is important, but it's not about just mere words alone. It's not about outward profession. It's about obedient devotion to Jesus as Lord. What we must see here is that Jesus, of course, knows their hearts. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And he wants us devoted to him as the Messiah who reigns on high. As we look at these verses, I'm reminded of what a professor of mine once said. He says, when I get to heaven, there will be three great surprises. Those who are there that I thought wouldn't be there. Those I thought who would be there who weren't there. And the fact that I am there. Well, here Jesus says a similar statement about that second category. He says, not everyone you think will enter heaven will be there. Just because someone says something about God does not mean that they know and follow God. I've heard drunks speaking about Jesus being their Savior while their lives contradicted what they said. Likewise, on the other end of the spectrum, Jesus says religious professors and teachers may declare that they know the Lord, but their lives reflect lawlessness instead of faithfulness. So again, whether either spectrum you're on, whether you're living an outright pagan life or a pious life, you know, your own deeds will not inherit the kingdom of God. So who will inherit the kingdom of God? Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Simply put, those who do, do the will of God. We're not merely to strive in saying the right words or even, as Jesus puts it, casting out demons, or even doing many mighty works. We are to do the will of God. So that does mean doing the will of God, following His commands, believing the right thing. It says we must truly, or rather, we must truly repent, truly believe in Jesus, and truly obey Jesus' commands. And so as we look at these commands, as we look at what Jesus says about entering the kingdom of heaven, I want to just pause. I want to just stop and ask us to evaluate our own lives and ask you this morning, are you trusting in Jesus as Messiah and Savior and Lord? Are you following Him? The Scriptures make it clear that there is a day of judgment coming 
Second Corinthians 5 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So as we look at Jesus' teaching here, I don't want us to see these as just mere moralistic teaching, mere moralistic codes of ways in which we should live our lives. Yes, they are ethical codes, but they're not just ethical codes. These codes, these teachings are reminding us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one who was sent from God, born of David, born of a virgin, or descended from David's line, born from Mary, who lived the perfect life, fulfilled the law perfectly so that we might believe and trust in him as Messiah and Lord. So as we look at the words of Jesus, we must bow to him. We must fully submit to him as Messiah, as the one sent from God, as God. As the only one who can stand in our place. He is the one who is our righteousness. He taught, as we see at the end of this chapter, as the one who had authority. Because he is authority. Authority has been given to him from God the Father. So let me encourage you this morning, bow your knee to him as Lord. Trust in Christ today. I want to encourage you today. I want to exhort you today to trust in Christ, to place your faith in Christ. God's word says faith comes from hearing and hearing comes through the word of Christ. So we have heard from the word of Christ. We have heard that he says that those who enter the kingdom of heaven do the will of my Father who's in heaven. So let me encourage you today to repent, truly repent, truly believe, truly obey Christ as Lord. I want to remind you today, as the front of your bulletin says, it's amazing sometimes how these go hand in hand. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us pray.